0: We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. So if you want to jump there with me, and we'll get straight into it. So starting from verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, "'Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. "'In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle "'than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God.'" The disciples were astounded. "'Then who in the world can be saved?' they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, "'Humanly speaking, it is impossible.'" But, with, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And now to hear from another Mark. The great American author Mark Twain once said this, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us today to not limit the truth of your word to the limitations of our own minds and world. Help us to be bold, to listen to you and to let your whole word in, to stir our hearts and show us a new and better hope. Let us receive the light and truth that breaks forth from your word. Amen. So now I'd like to read through this passage again, and I invite you this time to close your eyes and prayerfully listen and just take note of what comes to the surface as you hear this for a second time. What do you feel as you listen? What jumps out at you? What do you like in this passage? What do you dislike? When I'm finished reading, we'll take just a minute to sit quietly so that you can bring what you're thinking and feeling to God and just ask him to guide you as we then unpack the passage further. So yeah, just close your eyes, sit comfortably, listen. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus asked. "'Only God is truly good.' But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. If I'm going to be honest, one of the things that came up strongly for me when I read this passage during the week was a question of how can this be read in a way that softens the blow? And the answer to my question came to me via that Mark Twain quote It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. This passage could probably not be any clearer this particular passage, it's written like a five-year-old child's learn-to-read book. It's as plain as this is a cat, this is a ball, this is a banana. There's no way that you can read a book like that, that skirts around the true meaning, because the true meaning, it's there in plain script. There's no way that you can argue, well, I mean, whilst it does say cat, and they need to learn how to read cat, we do believe that domestic cats are evil, so maybe we could use tiger instead, because technically that's just a big cat, but a type of cat we're more comfortable with. That just doesn't make sense. And also, it could really hinder that poor child's um, learning to read. In the same way, I read Mark 10, verses 17 to 31, and my first reaction was, well, I mean, whilst it does say give up everything and follow Jesus, that, that sounds like a really confronting thing to say and a hard thing to do. So instead, instead maybe I could say just, just give up some things because technically that captures a part of what it's trying to say, and then I think we'll all be more comfortable with that once again, that just doesn't work, and it could really hinder our learning and growing. I wonder if your first reaction was similar to mine, trying to water down those tougher parts and to logic your way through to a more comfortable reading. Did you try to rationalize it like, Jesus is a cool guy, you know, me and him, we're good. He knows me, he knows my situation, and he knows my setup, we're good. Was that your reaction? Well, I'm sorry to tell you that whilst my first reaction looked for the easy way out, God promptly tapped me on the shoulder and asked, what are you doing with my word? What was I doing with God's holy and inspired divine word? I was trying to pull it apart, to make it say something it wasn't saying. I was trying to rewrite the word. I was trying to tell you what is and isn't okay. I was trying to take God's place. So sorry, but I'm not really sorry, but today we're getting God's word because that's the only one that's worth listening to and learning from. Here's a fun poem by C.S. Lewis that paints a beautiful picture of this passage for us. All things for example, a camel's journey through a needle's eye, are possible, it's true. But picture how the camel feels, squeezed out, in one long bloody thread from tail to snout. You can just hold on to that picture if you'd like. Is this making like a kind of echoey sound? That's good, it must just be my ears then. That's it, but that's good. So in this passage, we have a man who's taking the work smarter, not harder approach, and he's heard great things about Jesus. He respects him. He's heard he does good teaching, and so it makes sense for him to go straight to the source, to get the word on what is it going to take to get eternal life, rather than you know fussing about and trying to figure out that answer for himself. It's easy and efficient, and he comes in all smooth with his greeting, good teacher, according to oriental custom, the appropriate response to such a respectable greeting would be to meet it with equally exalted language. So Jesus should have said something like, yes, most honoured and good sir. So you can imagine this man was probably quite taken aback when he received very far from the expected response he received a deflection of his flattery and an exclamation at the fact that this man could consider anyone aside from God to be good. And in reading this, I mean, Jesus does certainly come across as rude. But the thing about Jesus is that he's always a good few steps ahead of us. And with this confrontational response... He's already probing at what he knows to be at the core of this particular interaction. You see, just from this man's greeting and opening line, Jesus sees right through him. He can see that this man has a works-based salvation. That's what he thinks. If he does the good things, he'll get the good results. Because he's quite comfortable calling Jesus good, it suggests that he probably throws that out, you know, fairly willy-nilly to anyone. He probably, in fact, thinks that he's a pretty good guy. And Jesus can see that all pretty instantaneously. And so he hears the man's question as, Good teacher, how can I ensure that my goodness, built by all of the good things that I've done, will pay off for me with eternal life? So it makes a little more sense as to why Jesus was so straight up with him. He wasn't going to waste time with this man beating around the bush. Jesus then answers the man's question by turning to the Ten Commandments, and he rolls off a few of them, to which the guy seems to go, "Uh, "Okay." after learning nothing new. And he replies to Jesus saying, Teacher, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. He was really fishing for, you know, that one big secret that was going to catapult him straight into the kingdom. What Mark records next is a real hinging point of this passage. It might seem like a simple and small detail, but listen carefully in verse 21, where Mark writes, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus, he strides ahead of those present and even ahead of the man who himself is asking the questions. Jesus already sees the core of this man's dilemma and he knows who he is. He knows this guy. Jesus believes this man's claims to have followed and kept all of the commandments. He doesn't judge the truthfulness of his answer or question it. He looks on the man and he just feels genuine love for him. And then, and only then, once it is recognized that Jesus genuinely and deeply loved this man, and only because of that love, only because he loves this man, then does Jesus lay out his challenge to him. And Jesus is direct with his challenge. Like before, he wastes no time beating around the bush. He is direct, and he doesn't worry about offending the man, possibly. He simply speaks the truth. Here is a man who believes that he is respectably good, but Jesus tells him that you're respectably good just isn't good enough. In fact, there's something that you're lacking. Knowing the commandments and keeping them carefully just isn't going to cut it. It isn't going to secure eternal life for this man or for anyone. Instead, Jesus tells him this Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Go, sell, give, follow Jesus. Go, sell, give, follow Jesus. Those were the directives that this man received. Verse 22 describes the man's response and the reason for his response. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The man walks away. The terms that Jesus laid out for him just can't have been agreeable, and so off he went, disappointed and unhappy, probably in search of, of a second, more accommodating answer to his question. But Jesus was never going to change or lower his bar. Can you imagine the disciples at this point? They were there watching this interaction, and likely, you know, quite chuffed as the man said, I keep all the commandments. And they maybe just a little astounded at the conditions that Jesus lays out for him. And then, probably just in shock, as Jesus lets a good man walk away from him, and not just a good man, but a man with deep pockets. Think of how that money could have helped us out. The disciples were probably screaming internally. Verses 23 to 25 describe what followed after this man walked away. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Just like a children's learn-to-read book, describes things in plain and simple language, Jesus does the same here with his disciples. He's given them the picture of the cat. Or in this book, the visual of this man actually walking away from him. He's then said, this is a cat. Or in this book, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's repeated to the child readers, yes, this is a cat. Though in this book, Jesus calls his disciples dear children and he tells them again, yes, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. And just in case that hasn't quite been clear enough, he gives them another visual, another picture of a cat. But instead in this book, it's a picture of a camel squeezed out in one long bloody thread from tail to snout. With this ridiculous and graphic metaphor, Jesus is driving home the truth that those who are ruled by money cannot be ruled by God. And once again, as we try to disqualify what is likely to maybe be a confronting blow at this point, we tell ourselves, don't worry, you're not like this rich man. You're not ruled by money, remember? You know that money can't buy happiness or heaven. Don't worry. This isn't talking to you. No, no, you don't need to listen. But if we are reading the words of Jesus, the words of the one who so genuinely and deeply loves us, each and every one of us, we must pray that we have the courage to hear his word for what it actually says, as true and as sincere as it is. For if we know, even if we know in our heads that money can't buy happiness, money can't buy us heaven, if I asked you honestly to examine your hearts, you'll likely find that you still wish that you had more in this world. I know that to be true for myself at least, as I've reflected on this passage this week. The disciples respond appropriately to Jesus, given that they're now assuming anyone's prospects into the kingdom of God are hopeless. And they ask, well, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus responds, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Jesus here corrects the assumption that he saw in the man from their first interaction. Jesus affirms for him, salvation isn't going to be found in self-proclaimed goodness, nor is it going to be realized through careful law-keeping. Eternal life isn't going to be found through doing one particular thing, but seeing as the man asked for that, Jesus gave him something to do. Go, sell, sell. Give, follow Jesus. There is more required than polite reverence of Jesus as a good teacher and earnest attempts to obey God's commands. And Jesus' directions to this man of what he needed to do only exposed this man's reluctance to give all of himself over to God putting his security and his future in God's hands alone. Jesus is teaching his disciples that in order to enter the kingdom kingdom of God, you have to allow God to reign through every aspect of your life. Not just in this particular area or that particular area, but through every aspect of your life. Disciples must be prepared to give up. And to open up everything to God. And Peter, who always seems in these stories to have an answer for everything, quickly pipes up in the disciples' defense, saying, We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus acknowledges that sacrifice that they have made, and he promises that won't be for nothing those who give up their earthly, their earthly securities and attachments for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, will receive 100-fold rewards. But, and there's always a but, but that will be along with persecutions. What Jesus asks his followers here to surrender is massive. And it is at this point, in realizing the cost, that many choose to walk away, their faces downcast because the cost is simply far too great for them to bear alone. This passage is confronting. It's confronting because it's so simple and it's so blatantly straight up. This passage says what it means and it means what it says. The man asked, What do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered that question by saying, go, sell, give, then follow Jesus. That's it. There's nothing mysterious about it. You don't have to read between the lines. It's right there in front of you with all its confrontationality. And if we try to run from the confrontation or sidestep it or skirt around it or logicize it away, then we're dishonoring the word of God. I read a quote this week that said, if someone can say, after encountering the teachings of Jesus, I have kept all these since I was a boy, it probably means that we have only met a very watered-down version of it. We do better as individuals if we are honest. And if we confess that we are too weak as humans to follow Jesus on his terms, then if we try to find loopholes that allow us to continue living the same watery, lukewarm, unradical, we can only receive this incredible gift. We can only receive salvation if we do it with Jesus on his terms. And Jesus's unwavering terms are to go, sell, give, and follow Jesus. So what do you need to go, sell, and give so that you can follow Jesus? Maybe like the rich man, it is material possessions and wealth. Wealth has the potential to be so dangerous. It is in no way neutral or harmless. It can be explosive. And the power that it brings is something that we as humans, we're bent to crave it. Can you this morning begin to give up your material possessions and give your wealth over to God? And boldly ask him for forgiveness for the time that you've spent serving money. Can you ask that he would guide you from this point forward as you give your money and possessions for the kingdom's cause? Maybe it's your home as a symbol of your earthly security. Can you this morning release that security over to God? Place your security in his hands alone? Don't hold on here so tightly to what you've got because it will not carry you through to eternal life with Jesus. Seek to build your treasure in heaven because that is what will give you and your family your greatest legacy. Maybe it is your family that you need to let go of. Families are a beautiful and precious and God-given gift but they are not for us to hold control over or for us to allow them to control us. Can you this morning release your family, mother, father, brother, sister, children, spouse, and their health, their security, their livelihood, over to God? Can you trust that God will lead and care for your family through whatever this world may bring? Maybe it's your status, who you are, your own identity that you've built. Maybe you're thinking you're doing pretty well. You're a pretty good guy. Can you this morning give yourself, all of yourself over to God? Can you name those cupboards within yourself for which you hold the key and you keep them locked and you keep that key away from God? Can you give those keys over to him? Disciples must be prepared to give up and open up everything and allow God to reign throughout all of their life. And maybe it's something else that you're recognizing you need to lay down. Maybe it's multiple of these that I've listed. Maybe it's all of them. And I bet it feels overwhelming. And I bet you feel like you could do without this on a Sunday morning. But Jesus has his terms, and this is what they are. But, and there is a but, and that but is, but how do we even do this? And Jesus answered that, saying, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. We do better if we confess that we cannot do this by Jesus' terms ourselves. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's writing of pleading with the Lord to take away his human failings, and he records each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Giving yourself completely over to God seems impossible. But Jesus, he didn't need to die on the cross for something that would come easily to us. Following Jesus, which leads to salvation does not depend on our human ability. Instead, it comes as a gift from the one who makes all things possible. The impossible becomes possible when we allow God's divine power to infuse our lives through our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would we rest in your word this morning? We ask that you would speak to us. By your spirit, would you speak to us? Lord Jesus, if these things we need to lay down, if these things that we need to surrender to you, areas of our lives we need to open up, or that we need to be honest about, Lord Jesus, help us. Give us the courage to do that with you this morning to be open and to be honest and to be vulnerable. Because, Lord Jesus, it is in those spaces, it is in those spaces where we have nothing left, where we hold nothing more for ourselves, that your power is made perfect, that your power will shine, and it will raise us up, Lord Jesus, to a life with you. Be with us, Jesus, as we examine ourselves and ask you to illuminate some of the darkest parts.